And we have a special speaker this morning. Hopefully... <laughs> Welcome, Pastor Frank. Yeah, thanks. Special speaker. It's like special ed. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, you know what? Let me ask you a question. Have you looked inside your bulletin? Do you see the, the title of the message today? 70X7. So who can tell me what the message is about? Forgiveness. Right. And it was, it was great because this marks the second message in a row where Dave has changed my illustration without asking me. He just decided upon himself to change. I had this most beautiful graphic. It was a pair of cupped hands and a heart with wings flying out of the cupped hands. You know, yeah, forgiveness. I set my heart free. And what do I get? I show up this morning and I get a chalkboard 70 times 7. Oh my gosh, how could I let that go? Yeah. So, this, me- this morning's message is about forgiveness. You know, and, and that was fun. You know, most of them are not quite as fun. Most of the examples of forgiveness are not quite as fun. Um, that one I think I can forgive and forget and totally let go and probably not be bothered by for too long. Um, you know, it's funny though, there seems to be some lessons in the spiritual journey that I never fully own is about the best way I can put it. You know, forgiveness, patience, don't fear, be anxious for nothing. You know, those are probably my top three that it it seems like I'll capture them for a moment and then six months later, a year later, I'm suddenly reminded that I need to recapture them, that I don't, I don't own them. I don't have them uh, as well in place as, uh, as I would like to have. Um, forgiveness seems to be one of those that, uh, you know, just every now and then I get this, uh, I get a reminder. I get a, uh, a vivid reminder that I'm not exactly where I want to be with this. Um, I had actually, it was about three weeks ago that, uh, that we had decided I would do the message this morning. I spent the first two and a half weeks planning a different message. Um, Tuesday morning I woke up and at some point I logged on to Facebook and <laughs> it's going to be tough because this one, you know, I'm, I'm sharing something this morning that, that's, um, that, that hits me pretty deeply. Um, I got up and I was reminded it was someone's birthday. And so Facebook, of course, and all of its well-meaning wisdom said, wish this person a wonderful birthday. And the flood of emotions that came over me were anger, resentment, uh, frustration, as well as a lot of grief and maybe even a little guilt. But it was totally amazing to wake up to read those simple words, to think about doing that simple action and to come face to face with uh, something that I really thought I had dealt with some time ago. Um, You see, this person 
was probably my most trusted friend for at least 30 years. Um, you know, the person that I really thought would always have my back and I would always have theirs. The person that I was sure, and, and it's a guy, and it's a guy from, you know, my, my, my past, but, you know, it's someone who has been part of my life, you know, a friend, uh, you know, since my early 20s. And literally the type friendship that I thought I could do anything with, go into business with, loan money to, you know, all those things that we reserve for only the most trusted of friendships. You know, this was that person. It was a person that I, I actually respected their wisdom. I respected their advice. I respected who and what they were. I loved our friendship. I loved that, um, you know, this was a rock in my life, someone that, you know, that I had as part of my life that I could totally trust, totally, you know, totally whatever. And ten years ago, something happened involving money. And I came face to face with the fact that I couldn't trust that person. Um, they took advantage of a situation. And, you know, over the past ten years, there's been a lot of effort on my part to forgive and to resolve uh, so there's been conversations, there's been everything, and, you know, I have, I have moved back and forth, it seems like, in how well I am forgiving at any certain point. But, um, you know, today I, I felt like it was good to, to use this this morning because there's probably not a person in this room that hasn't been frustrated in the same way, disappointed in the same way, or felt that same loss, that same grief, um, you know, from losing a friendship that you thought would be there forever, uh, a friendship that you thought would always have your back, and, um, and it turned out not to be the case. And it's amazing... I can't tell you how much I've learned in the last 10 years, but it has been an amazing process. And so I wanted to share some of that today, mainly because I need to hear it. You know, Tuesday, um, having to face that when I thought that I really had resolved this for myself, I really thought I had made peace with this for myself. I really thought I had forgiven. Um, I really thought I had let this go. And... To be faced again um, with that, you know, just uh, reminded me that, you know, well, one of the lessons that I've learned from it is forgiveness is often not so much an event as it is a journey. Um, you know, I, I want it to be an event. I want to treat it the way I treat something, you know, silly like the, the image on here and laugh about it and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, throw it out there and then just walk away from it and have it never come back. But the deep woundings, the, the deep difficulties, the deep challenges uh, don't resolve themselves that quickly or that easily. Uh, walking through that and walking out of it is a journey that uh, that can take many years, um, you know. And this one, I think, because it's half resentment and half grief, you know, it, it's half 
frustration and irritation um, in its nature. And the other half of the, the puzzle, the other half of the emotions that are coming along with this are grieving the loss of that deep friendship and that trust. Um, and I, that's the only, the only thing I can... Uh, the only reason I can really figure out why it has taken so long for me to actually, you know, completely put this to bed. But um, have you noticed that? Is that, you know, the deep grievings, the deep woundings, the deep situations where we need to forgive uh, are the ones that don't run away, walk away, or resolve themselves um, with just a decision. I can't just mentally decide, I want this to be over, I'm going to let this person go, I'm going to free them, I'm going to forgive them. All the great things that I hear in church, you know, I'm just going to do it and it will be done and resolved. Doesn't happen that way. Um, many of these, you know, they 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 take months. the The friendship was formed over over months and years, and you know, the the wounding is going to continue, um, you know, until I do all of the work necessary to in order to make friends with it. And that's that's really what I feel kind of like I'm doing. You see, this is not a forgive and forget. I don't think I will ever be able to completely put this event out of my memory. It's part of my life. Uh, It's part of my relationship with this person. This person is still in my life. Um, You know, there is still a friendship there. And uh, and I did wish them a happy birthday. And I kind of meant it. And that's as honest as I can be. But I did it, you know. And uh, you know, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, you know what? That was uh, that was what needed to happen. And it happened. Um, but I, I can't tell you that there was a lot of, of wonderful emotions attached to it. But it happened, and and you know, and I I did. I wished them very well. I told them I hoped it was an awesome day, and um, you know, and and so there you go. But uh, but you know, I'm left with walking with this, walking through this, and trying to find a path so that uh, it doesn't continue to uh, impact my emotional happiness. My emotional sobriety, my emotional state of mind. Um, I'm not going to be able to forget the event. And so really what I'm doing in forgiveness a lot of times is trying to make friends with it. I'm trying to find peace with it. I want to be able to look at it, to consider it, to wish this person a happy birthday and not have to struggle through the difficult emotions, the uh, anger and resentment. Um, even the guilt and grief. You know, I want to be able to walk them all the way through to acceptance, all the way through to forgiveness, and uh, and find some peace. Um, so anyway, first lesson that I learned from that was so much of the time, and we've got to uh, give ourselves permission for this, the path to forgiveness is a journey, not an event. Um, because if you... 
If you expect that it should be otherwise, if you believe that it should be otherwise, you will stay frustrated with yourself and upset with yourself for not being able to immediately accomplish the act of forgiveness. And, um, you know, uh, like I say, the deeper the wound, the, uh, the longer it usually takes to walk through. Um, the second lesson that I want to share with you is I no longer give flip advice or casual advice to someone who is struggling, you know, with something of a spiritual nature like this. You know, a topic like forgiveness, um, a, an, a, a situation where we need to forgive. I think a lot of times as Christians, we have this tendency to give, I'll call it flip advice, casual advice, quote a scripture at somebody, throw a scripture at them, you know, remember the Lord forgave you, so you should forgive others. You know, we, we, we do that, and we do it in such a well-meaning way because we want them to have the freedom they need, and yet that tendency to throw flip casual advice at people um, is more damaging than helpful. And, you know, if I could just forgive this person, I would just forgive this person. And, you know, I am, you know, I have made progress in this. You know, the 10 years have not been wasted. You know, I have walked down this road a pretty good way. Um, You know, but every now and then we get a wake-up call. Um, Every now and then I get reminded of why I need God's grace. Uh, every now and then, you know, I get reminded that the stone is not completely smooth, as Dave likes to say. You know, every now and then I, I, I get a wake-up call, and Tuesday was that wake-up call. So um, I don't give flip advice. You know, today, rather than give advice, I, I, I think I am better spent, uh, or I better spend my time when I sit down and just try to have a conversation and seek to understand what's going on with the person rather than tell them how they should handle their own life and their own situation. Um, I, I think that's a more helpful place for me to be and a more helpful thing for me to do. Um, so that was lesson number two. I don't give flip advice. Um, the third one is this. You know, and, and I've shared this from up here before, but... Um, You know, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And in spelling that out for us, you know, because he said that's the greatest commandment and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He identified three relationships in there. The relationship with God, the relationship with others, and the relationship with self. One of the things that I have learned, and I, I really I think the lesson comes from situations exactly like this, where I am struggling with forgiving, I'm struggling with a relationship in my life with another person, and all of a sudden I recognize that it is holding back my relationship with God. Um, these three relationships with God, with others, and with self, to me... Um, I see them today as linked rings, three linked rings, okay? God, self, and others. 
Um, and like I said, I know I've shared this from up here before. Some of you have heard it. But these three linked rings with God, self, and others, those relationships grow or descend together as a unit. Okay? If I'm trying to get close to God and I've still got a situation or situations in my life where I am unable or unwilling to forgive others, that very act creates a glass ceiling that impacts my ability to move closer to God. If I today am struggling to believe that God could possibly love me just exactly the way I am, that makes it that much more difficult for me to forgive others. If today I am struggling with my ability to forgive myself for any situation, any event, that, that, uh, that impacts my ability to trust God. It impacts my ability to love or care or extend grace to someone else. All of these three relationships impact and are tied to each other. To think that I can grow one independently of the other is a frustration because it won't happen. Um, to think that I can just come and, and chase God and, and get spiritual and get closer to God without doing any work on myself or my relationships is naive. Um, they, are, they are definitely tied together. To grow one is to grow all three. To improve one is to improve all three. And to neglect one is to keep all three stagnated and at the same place. So, you know, those are the three top-of-mind lessons that I wanted to throw out today and, and share. Um, you know, just, just things for us to consider. We need to, uh, we need to be able to cut ourselves some slack as we walk through this Christian life. But then we need to be willing to extend that slack to someone else. I want to read. Um, I want to read something, and this is from Richard Rohr. He's one of our favorites here. Um, Richard has such a beautiful way of putting things, and in this reading, to me, it is well. It's it's First John four nineteen, and actually, if you look in your bulletin, let's read First John four nineteen. It's it's in your bulletin. And it's one that, uh, that gets quoted quite a bit here, uh, especially at the end of every one of Dave's prayers. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. But... That very first statement, we love because he first loved us. Um, I'm going to read this. This is uh, one of Richard Rohr's daily meditations. It's the first half of it on forgiveness. And what, what he spells out here, what he shares here, to me is a fleshing out of 1 John 4.19. We can only love because he loved us first. So take a listen to what he has to say here. God is given, giving you the broadest and deepest permission you can receive to give back to God who you really are, warts and all. And your willingness to offer that 
knowing that it will be received, brings you to tears on at least two levels. First, for your own incapacity. I can't do it. Lord, have mercy on me. That's the only way to begin to pray. I don't know how to pray. Then there's the second level of tears, which is total gratitude. I hope you've had that moment from one beloved partner or friend when you know you've just done a really stupid thing, but they don't judge you and they don't dismiss you. They just look at you with soft eyes and receive you. It's the tears of immense release and joy and happiness. There's a heart out there big enough to receive what I can't receive, to forgive what I can't forgive. That is what makes you fall in love with God. If you're on the spiritual journey, that should happen many times. It's the experience of a lover who sees you in your nakedness when you don't have the perfect body you had when you were 18, when you're still not patient, even though you've been praying for it for years, and they love you anyway. They receive you anyway, and they embrace you anyway. That's the kind of love that we all want, that we all wait for, and that we all need. Although we want it from one another and we get it occasionally, we find there is only one that can be relied upon to always receive us and mirror us as perfectly as we are without demanding changes of us. My great sadness is that so many Christians don't know that. They're afraid to be naked before God because what they expect from God is what they've learned to expect from other people which is judgment and analysis. I'll take God's judgment any day over the judgment of other people. Really. And those who pray know that. How could you not fall in love with someone who always outdoes you in generosity and receptivity? To me, this is the starting point of forgiveness. It's the starting point of relationship. It's the starting point of love. We can only love because He loved us first. We can only forgive because He forgave us first. And we only know what grace is because He extended grace to us first. The world doesn't example much of that for me. God does. And... Until I accept and receive His grace, His love, His forgiveness at a deep level, I don't have it to give to someone else. I truly don't have that kind of forgiveness or grace or love to extend outward unless I've already received it. Unless I have received it all the way down to my heart and know that it's there, undeserved, unearned, on everything that's how he loves me that's how he forgives me and that's his grace for me and until I get to that point I have precious little to share um, so this is the starting point uh, there's there's one other lesson that I want to go through before I just start talking about forgiveness and, and exactly kind of how we walk through it and to it and make it happen. And that is this. Um, you know, I mentioned there's a little bit of guilt in this probably as well. To me, resentment and guilt, and this, this is something that, that it took me a while to, 
to figure out. But resentment and guilt are flip sides of the same coin. All right? Resentment. Something happened between me and you, and I blame you. Guilt. The same thing happened between you and me, but I blame me. Okay? Resentment and guilt are the same exact emotion. It's just depending on which way I point the finger of blame. Okay? That's all it is. That's resentment. That's guilt. Okay? Um, There's a piece of me that would like to believe that blaming myself is healthier than blaming others. The truth is, neither one of them are healthy. As long as I'm playing the blame game, I am not forgiving. Okay? Resentment and guilt. Finger of blame. I can't be playing the blame game and move closer to God. If I'm living in resentment, then I'm living in unforgiveness. If I'm living in guilt, I'm living in unforgiveness. I am still blaming myself. And this is this has been a hard lesson for me because based on your personality, you probably have the tendency to point the finger of blame in the same direction about 70% of the time. So your personality type is either the type that points a finger of blame outward most of the time or it points a finger of blame inward most of the time. Okay, My personality type is the finger of blame gets pointed this way about 70% of the time. Okay, It gets pointed outward about 30% of the time. But that's just, that's just my personality. That's who I am. So blame usually comes this way. But it really doesn't matter which way I'm pointing that finger. As long as I am pointing the finger and playing the blame game, then I'm not forgiving. And what's truly amazing, and this is something that's very true for me, and I've talked to a lot of people and seems to be true for a lot of people, is we accept God's forgiveness. I can come to the point where I know God forgives me for something. I know He's already removed it as far as the East is from the West. I know it is not an issue between me and Him. I know, you know, everything in our relationship is is back, copacetic, wonderful, normal. And yet I can't forgive me. How do we do that? How do I come to, po- to the point where I accept the fact that the God of the universe has forgiven me and yet I refuse to forgive myself? And yet we do it. We do it over and over and over. So, you know, as we talk about forgiveness this morning, as we walk the path, you know, that we need to walk to forgiveness, uh, consider which way you tend to point the finger of blame and consider which direction you need to extend forgiveness toward you or toward others, or both, and, uh, and see where that takes you. See where, see where it leads. Um, but I do think, I think that's ego at its finest. Uh, you know, only our ego would, you know, accept God's forgiveness and yet hang on to, uh, to my own guilt. But uh, let's read another verse. There's a, there's a verse in Matthew 5 that, uh, that I love. It's, it's talking about forgiveness. And uh, 
you know, it's a verse that says, you know, Jesus is talking. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, if you're at the, the altar offering your gift and there you remember that your brother has something against you, first go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. I don't know how much time you really spent considering that verse, but there is, and I don't want to draw too much theology from it or, or try and place too much meaning on it, but Jesus is basically saying that if you're not right with a brother, then the first thing on your list, on your to-do list, is to go get right with your brother before you come back and seek to get right with God. You know, he is, at the minimum, he is he's telling us about these linked rings, that those relationships go hand in hand, that they are in tandem. Uh, at the very minimum, he's telling us that, um, you know, that they both work in harmony with each other. And so I need to address them both. But, you know, at a maximum, he may be saying that it is hard to get directly right with God and repair that relationship if there's an unwillingness to repair other relationships out there. He is he's making a very strong statement here, and, and it's a statement that we really all need to consider. If he's telling us, you know, and this is, you know, this whole altar business, I know that doesn't communicate real well today. We don't go to the altar today. We don't communicate with God through the altar today. We communicate with God through prayer today. So I guess if I was going to move that into today's language, it would be something like, you know, if you're getting down on your knees to pray uh, and chat with God and remember your brother has something against you, first go and be reconciled with your brother then come back and get on your knees in front of God. Um You know, I don't think he could send us a stronger message that these relationships with others, the forgiveness, the repairing that needs to be done, nothing, nothing, um, nothing takes precedence over something like that. If I want to have that healthy relationship with God, that is the starting point. If I want to be in harmony with God, if I want to be spiritual, if I want to reflect Him, to draw attention to Him. You know, that's where the journey starts, and that's that's how it works. And then I kind of, uh, I did my own rendition because if we're, if we're that person that's pointing the finger of blame this way instead of that way, perhaps the verse should read, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that you are holding on to guilt, first go and seek to be reconciled to yourself. Then come and offer your gift. Forgiveness has to go both ways. Forgiveness has to not only go outward, but it has to go inward. Um, Forgiveness has to level the playing field and has to bring us back into harmony. Holding on to resentment is saying, I don't trust God to handle this. That's what holding on to resentment is. You know, this person needs to be punished, and I don't trust God to punish them the way they need to be punished. That's what that's what resentment is, uh, even when it's guilt. You know, even when I'm pointing the finger of blame this way, uh, and it's guilt. Uh, you know, there's a reason we're holding on to it, and 
you know, and that's the reason that we say that it's it's poisonous because you know, as long as we're holding on to it, it is poisoning us from the inside out. But um, but that's what resentment is. It, it's us saying, I don't trust God to handle this, and I want to make sure this person gets the punishment they deserve. And um, and so I can't let it go. So how do we forgive? Let me finish this reading with Richard Rohr. The spirit within us creates an unrelenting desire toward forgiveness and reconciliation. The entire gospel reveals the unfolding mystery of forgiveness. It's the beginning, the middle, and the end of the gospel's transformative message. The energy of being forgiven in our unworthiness of it first breaks us out of our merit badge mentality. The ongoing experience of being forgiven is necessary to renew our flagging spirit and keep us in the infinite ocean of grace. Toward the end of life, a universal forgiveness of everything for being what it is becomes the only way we can see and understand reality and finally live at peace. Zechariah said that God would give God's people knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of sin. Only when we experience undeserved love does this inward and outward flow begin to happen. Before that, we are a dry, dead cistern. Before that, we are into religion perhaps, but not really any dynamic notion of God or even ourselves. Forgiveness given and forgiveness received are always the pure work of uncreated grace. Such unearned and undeserved forgiveness is necessary to break down the quid pro quo world that I call meritocracy. Grace recreates all things. Nothing new happens without forgiveness. We just keep repeating the same old patterns, illusions, and half-truths. Sometimes grace does not come immediately, but, like Job, we sit in the ashes, scraping our sores. Sometimes neither the desire nor the decision to forgive is present. Then we must grieve and wait. We must sit in our poverty, perhaps even admitting our inability to forgive the offender. That is when we learn how to pray and how to long and thirst for righteousness. True spirit-led forgiveness always frees and heals at least one of the parties involved, and hopefully both. It only preserves my moral high ground as a magnanimous Christian person. Oh, if, if it only preserves my moral high ground as a magnanimous Christian person, I doubt if it's true forgiveness at all. It must also quicken and invite the hearts of others, especially the offender. True forgiveness does not leave the offender feeling small and judged, but liberated and loved. As a new, at the New Jerusalem community in Cincinnati, I had 70 times 7 painted over the mail, main doorway. New mail carriers thought it was the address. It was our address, in a way. It is the distinctive hallmark of a people liberated by Christ. Community is not where forgiveness is unnecessary or unneeded. It's where forgiveness is very free to happen. And if it doesn't happen... On a daily basis, there will be no community. Without forgiveness, the logic of victimhood and perpetrator rules instead of the illogic of love. He's a pretty amazing guy. Okay, forgiveness. 
You know, I, I put down three steps that I think are great preparation steps to forgiveness, and then three action steps. And I just run through these um, because much of the time, I think the preparation is probably as important as the actual doing, uh, especially in the difficult ones. And the first one is comes from Colossians 3. And if you take a look, take a look at your verses again, the top one is Colossians 3, 12 through 15. And it says, since, since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you should forgive others. But above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Right in the middle of that, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you should forgive others. You know, the, the preparation here is, when I reflect back on my life, I have been every person that has ever entered my life. And what I mean by that is, at one time or another, I've broken trust. I've been the liar. I've been the cheater. I've been the stealer. I've been the frustrator. I've been the irritator. I've been the breaker of relationship. At every point in my life, I have done all of these things. And at every point in my life, I have been the person doing the right thing. But... I have been that person. I have been that person that has failed someone else. Um, And today, if I'm willing to accept God's forgiveness for myself, I, I don't see how I can do that and not extend the same grace to someone else. I don't know how I can I can accept His grace, His forgiveness, His love, and not be willing to as it comes into me, hand it out to someone else. I think that's what we're called to do. I, I think that is the path that we are on. Um, so that's that's the first preparation step is considering that, you know, I'm, I'm only giving to others what I've already freely accepted from Christ. Uh, and if I haven't freely accepted it from Him, then I don't have it to give which is preparation step number two. You know, do I believe that God accepts me just as I am? Do I believe that He loves me just as I am, warts and all? Do I believe that He couldn't love me any more than He does right now, regardless of how well I'm playing this game? If I am not at that point where I believe that His arms are always open wide... He loves me uncontrollably. He loves me with an unending love. He accepts me exactly as I am, where I am, what I am. If I don't believe that, I really don't have that to offer to someone else. So preparation step number two is make sure that you're in that place with God, with the Father. And if not, then that's where I need to do a little 
soul-searching and work. You know, if I'm not if I'm not believing that God loves me in that way, accepts me in that way, you know, honors me in that way, then um, I'm going to have a hard time giving that to someone else. And the last one is that the, the, the third preparatory is this. Um, you know, a lot of us come from a recovery background. And there's a story in the back of the big book that is one that we go to over and over and over and over and over and over because we need to go to it over and over and over and over and over. And it's called Acceptance is the Answer. And uh, I want to read just two paragraphs from it. And I want you to think about it in terms of forgiveness. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it's because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life, unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Shakespeare said, All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. He forgot to mention that I was the chief critic. I was always able to see the flaw in every person, every situation, and I was always glad to point it out because I knew you wanted perfection just as I did. AA and acceptance have taught me that there is a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us, that we are all children of God, and we each have a right to be here. When I complain about me or about you, I'm complaining about God's handiwork. I'm saying that I know better than God. Yeah. I hate that. It it puts the focus right where it needs to be. You know, me doing what I need to do. So, forgiving. This is one that my sponsor taught me 10 years ago because I had someone I was having trouble forgiving. And he said, I want you for 30 days to pray for them every day, but I want you to pray that God gives them exactly what you want God to give you right now at this moment in your life. And so at that moment in my life, you know, I wanted some financial security. You know, I wanted some healing. I wanted some spirituality. You know, um, and I, I just, I wanted, um, you know, to be blessed. And so for 30 days, I had to pray that God would do those things for this person. And I can tell you how it played out. For about the first 15 days, there was no emotions attached to the prayer. Okay? For about the first 15 days, I said the words, but they didn't resonate very deeply within me. Finally, after about 15 days of praying that prayer and asking God to bless this person in a way that I really wanted him to bless me, I began to actually mean it a little bit. 
And after 30 days of praying the prayer, there was actually some emotion attached to it. It's not easy to do. But if I'm serious about wanting to move to that place of forgiveness, if I'm serious about wanting to heal the wound, then this is what the path looks like. You know, I humble myself and I take a new approach. That's one. Number two, treat them as if you've forgiven them. Fake it till you make it. Send the happy birthday wish, whether you feel like it or not. You know, Paul makes this real clear. The law was given to us in the Scripture so that we would have a path to follow before we knew what the path looked like. Once the law becomes embedded and written on our hearts, then we no longer need the law. But I need the law to get me on the right path when I'm resisting the path. Okay? Forgiveness often takes that shape. Um... I need to make the practice. I need to do the legwork, whether I feel like it or not, uh, because that's the only way for me to get to where I'm trying to get to. It may not be a matter of the heart today. My emotions may not be attached to it today. But the only way for me to truly get there and get to the point where my emotions are attached to it is to take the action and start to practice the experience. So... Number one, pray for them to receive what you want. Number two, treat them as if you've forgiven them already. And number three, and lastly, celebrate the opportunity to actually live your faith. This is what we're called to do. You know, Jesus made it very clear. God causes the rain to fall on the good and the bad. He causes the sun to shine on the good and the bad. Nobody gets different treatment. Um... My only opportunity to practice my true faith is in the face of hardship and difficulty. Everybody greets their friends. Everybody is nice to people who are nice to them. Everybody is happy when circumstances are good. Everybody is comfortable with life when life is comfortable. The only opportunity I have to be different, to be a city on a hill, to be a lamp on a lampstand, is to act differently in the face of a challenge or a difficulty. The only way I have to be different is to forgive when the other person has not asked for forgiveness. You know, it's to love when the other person is unloving. It's to extend grace when the other person is ungrateful. Those are the only opportunities I have to actually practice my faith and walk my faith. And so... That's got to be considered as my opportunity. You know, if anything, I need to celebrate that I've been given this opportunity to walk my faith and live my faith. My head's not quite wrapped around that yet, but I'm working on it. You know, many of the messages that come from up here are the message that we need to hear. Whoever it is up here doing the talking, you know. And that's what today's message was. It's what I needed to hear. You know, hopefully you needed to hear it too. But And I think that, you know, forgiveness being what it is, 
it is, it's one of those lessons we never fully learn or own or capture. It's one that we keep revisiting and coming back to and relearning as life requires it of us. So look for your opportunities. I hope this week brings you the opportunity to love someone, to extend grace to someone, and to forgive someone, and thereby be a beacon on the hill. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this community. Thank you for these lives that you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity to learn, even when we're slow and uh, even when it takes multiple lessons. You know, I know you're that loving Father up there celebrating us, applauding us, and encouraging us and looking forward to what we will learn as we actually do life your way. And we thank you and love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.